When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is Football Social Daily. It's the start of a new week in the Premier League, but there's nothing new about the standard of officiating in the top flight. On Super Bowl weekend, it was a case of VAR, you serious? As some decisions left fans scratching their heads. And one head scratcher, perhaps, was the appointment of Nathan Jones at Southampton. After just three months and seven defeats in eight games, he's been sacked. Not great for statistically one of the best in Europe, is it? But the damage may already be done at St Mary's in that battle to beat the drop. Everton fans will be hoping that that is indeed the case as they too look to preserve their Premier League positioning. One of the biggest games of the season is tonight as Sean Dyche takes his troops behind enemy lines. It's a wounded Liverpool against a robust Everton in the Merseyside derby. Is this the Toffees' best chance to triumph on rivals' turf? We'll pick apart the weekend's Premier League action on today's episode of Football Social Daily, your award-winning podcast from Sports Social. Subscribe now and you won't miss an episode including any of our weekly chats with former top flight players. My name's Niall and joining me today in the studio, two men who have glued their eyes open today because they were both up late watching the Super Bowl, no doubt. Right, lads? Marley and Jim are here. How are you doing? (laughs) I don't understand. I like the looks of American football, but I don't understand it in any way. It seems very complicated, the fact that you have all these different stats and breakdowns and stoppages and then you have someone coming on that's doing the kicking and then someone goes off mm. again and does the key. It's, it's very confusing. Two separate teams, isn't on. it? One for offense, one for defense. Yeah. Is that right? I think yeah. it is. 45, I don't know much. 45 players in a squad, I think. Yeah, there I were rumors about like American a few football. years ago when David Beckham was retiring that he'd go into American football. Well, just to kick. Just oh, to, to be, be a, a kicker, kicker. yeah. yeah. Never mm. happened, obviously. Johnny really Wilkinson, obviously, in English rugby, was kind of the, the icon for kicking, wasn't he? With mm. that 2003 drop goal and yeah. always used to kick conversions, yeah. didn't he, for England did watch a bit in the of rugby. rugby the weekend, actually. You watched the rugby, you swapped the proper-shaped ball for the egg, did you? Yeah, well, I only watched a bit on Sunday afternoon when England were playing uh, Italy and, uh, yeah, 
That was that's all my analysis on the rugby. <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> well, if you ever do find yourselves tries, w- wanting to take in some American sport, obviously it's not widely available here in the UK. Then the best thing to do is sign yourself up to a VPN. And what better than NordVPN? And you can get a discount on your subscription plan with NordVPN as well, just by going to the website, which is nordvpn.com forward slash fsd. And because you're a listener to this podcast, you'll get a sizable discount on your plan and also because Nord is celebrating their 11th birthday this month you might even be in line for some extra goodies as well if you sign up via that link nordvpn.com forward slash fsd four months for free included in that plan and if you don't like it you can get your money back within the first 30 days with Nord's 30 day money back guarantee so that website one more time nordvpn.com forward slash fsd Right, let's move on to Get In The Sea, which is something we normally do on a Monday to kick off Football Social Daily for the week. It's our chance to have a Monday moan where if something's got our back up over the course of the Premier League weekend, we have a chance to moan and whine and complain about it and throw it into the deep blue. First of all, some pretty annoying news if you're a Tottenham fan to bring you. Rodrigo Bentancur is out for the season. He's picked up an ACL injury, of course, got subbed off in the weekend's game against Leicester. Heavy defeat for Spurs. The sadness and the misery is piled onto them as he's out with an ACL injury. That's not going in the sea. But I wonder what will for you, Jim? We'll come to you first. Mine will be fairly quick today, I think. And it can go broadly under the heading, what is wrong with people? Because <laughs> I just don't understand people sometimes. And this relates directly to the Leeds versus Manchester United game at the yeah. weekend, which was a game that was, I think, for the most part, low on quality, but high on passion. And there was a brilliant atmosphere inside the stadium as two old rivals went head-to-head, obviously one ultimately by Manchester United. But as we saw in the game, as we see happen quite often in football, is that passion, that desire to win, just spills over the wrong way slightly. And Manchester United, Leeds and the Premier League have all come out this morning to condemn what they are describing as grief chanting. And that was chants from the crowds. It started off with... The Leeds fan um, chanting about Munich, which is something mm. we've seen at Manchester United games for yeah. the last 20 years. gestures as well. Yeah, yeah. and the mm. Manchester United fans, their retort to that was to sing chants about the two Leeds fans that were stabbed in Turkey. two years ago, was it? In mm, I think it was more, more oh, no, 20 odd like, years ago. Yeah. But, but anyway, it doesn't really, it, it doesn't really matter no, when it happened. No, of course. But I think it's just one of those things that. I, one of the great things about football and one of the things we all enjoy is the chanting and the singing and one of the problems with new stadiums is you're kind of robbed of that. You don't get that as much as you mm. did in the old stadiums. But chanting should be funny, it should be heartwarming, it should be about yeah. your team's past glories or it should be something that is very pretty non-specific but <laughs> kind yeah. of criticizing from my experience as a fan i think a lot of it is kind of gallows humor hmm. like for instance when my team are playing poorly we often chant about the fact that we're terrible and if we end up beating another team or we're le- leading a game we end up chanting about how terrible they are yeah because we're terrible and they must be even worse well, the, the best songs are <laughs> so, the ones about your heroes right of they're course the, they're the fun ones and they're the ones that everyone gets behind and, but... and i think that you're you're right there is an element of the tribalistic side of football where chanting can get distasteful and nasty and yes I understand it's a rivalry and people dislike the other club Mm. but you're absolutely spot on to throw that into the sea and Liverpool fans have had to put up with it for a long time as well with chants about Hillsborough and the disaster that happened in 1989 and it's just nasty it's a nasty part of football which unfortunately 
it doesn't look like it's going to fade away anytime soon. Do you think that we still see this because there's an element of... Idiots. Yeah, idiots, <laughs> but also insulation. When you're in a group of a lot of people, Completely. you feel more likely that you can get away with doing what you're doing. Well, someone else is doing it, so why can't I? You Does would never say this kind of stuff face-to-face in conversation with someone. And it's it should be a simple rule. It should be... If you're going to sing about something at football, it shouldn't be racist. It shouldn't be misogynistic. It shouldn't be offensive to anyone, really. It should be. I mean, it, you don't want to sanitise it and go, oh, it should be good, clean fun. It should be all be like, there's got to be an element of edge to it in some ways. But it's knowing where that line is. And you're right. There is a kind of like, there's a tribalistic, there's mm. an element of just getting carried away because you're in a group of people. But out of the... 100 or whatever people that were singing I'm, I'm 100% convinced that 70% of them would have had thoughts going oh, shouldn't be on, doing this, this. yeah mm-hmm. yeah and I'm with you and it was sad to see actually yesterday I mean I don't think we should try and sanitize rivalry too much but I do think that there is definitely more than a case to eliminate that sort of chanting from the game Jim's right that's going in the sea Leeds United and Manchester United issuing a joint statement actually during the game yesterday between the two sides at Ellen Road in the Premier League condemning the chanting of both sets of supporters and as Jim says what's being called grief chanting there's no place for it in the game unfortunately so that goes into the sea Um, a slightly different tact for me but still to do with fans and this is what I'm going to throw into the sea and I don't know how Marley feels about this please can we just put to bed this whole Newcastle United, Manchester United, Alan Shearer, nonsense. Alan Shearer was on the radio at the weekend and he was asked whether he regrets not joining Manchester United. Oh, he's never been asked that one before. And going to, well, do you know <laughs> what I mean? Worked. Well, here we go, Molly, this yeah. is what I mean. He was asked whether he regrets not joining Manchester United in the early 90s and instead going on to sign for his boyhood club, Newcastle, where he broke the Premier League scoring record and has become an icon. He did not win a single thing at Newcastle United. Nothing. Mm. But he doesn't care about that. He cares about what it meant to him as a human being, which is admirable. And obviously this all spins off the back of the Harry Kane debate. Is he going to go on and win a trophy? He's already Tottenham's top scorer. You know, people are obsessed with what Harry Kane does next. The big difference between Harry Kane and Alan Shearer, though, is Harry Kane hasn't won anything. Alan Shearer had already won a Premier Premier League. League. Yeah, Yeah. that's very true. But in terms of what he won at Newcastle, he won nothing. Whereas Manchester United, even in the absence of Shearer, and I'm sure Shearer would have made Manchester United even greater during the 90s had he gone there. They won everything. They won the Champions League. They won multiple Premier Leagues, FA Cups. So they didn't really need Shearer to execute what mm. Sir Alex Ferguson managed to execute. So why then have the Newcastle fans got a banner ready for the Carabao Cup final that says, Alan Shearer, he turned you down? <laughs> I mean, why? What's the point? It's, it's ridiculous. It's petty point scoring over a player that got a statue outside St. James's Park. I'm sure Manchester United fans do not care one bit having won a treble and multiple trophies that Alan Shearer turned them down. I'm sure at the time it was I a sore subject. I would 100% disagree with that. When you ever listen to Newcastle against Man United, especially at Old Trafford, the only thing they sing for 90 minutes is Shearer sent you down and also just all obsessed Alan Shearer chants. I've never known a fan base like it. It's, it's bizarre. It's such a small thing that links the clubs like in it's so in trivial that's why i want to throw it in the sea because it's like what yeah. is going on but here that banner is a response to them always chanting it so that banner is like okay well you know you chant about him managing you to to relegation which he didn't because he only did it for eight games 
But then not, um, it was. Me and Marley's not letting it go. Yeah. <laughs> Done that, um, it was only eight games. It was, <laughs> it didn't really take it down. He was in charge for eight games. Still yeah. a hero. That's the yeah. same yeah. amount of games as Nathan Jones. Yeah. He yeah. might have taken Southampton down. I'll we'll talk about I, it in a minute, by the way. I reckon the person who's most upset about that Manchester United transfer never happening was the bloke I saw walking around the town I grew up in, a town called Camberley down south, in 1996. Wearing no, a brand new Manchester United shirt with Shearer 9 on the back. Yeah. Do you know what? If you grow up in Surrey and you're a Man United fan, you're a tosser anyway. So it's all, well, you've it's just insulted 85% of the population of Surrey. <laughs> Bring it on, Surrey. Yeah. And 85% of the Manchester United fan base. But, you, I get where you're coming from and... I it's just, just I, it's, it's just, just a retaliation from, it's just annoying from us because like you've got the geezer himself, the legend that is Alan Shearer, and he is a legend, going on the radio saying, I don't regret not joining Manchester United. I don't regret yeah. it. So just let's just the, put it to bed. And let I tell you what, we've already seen Jim and Jill shake hands on the podcast this season over who's going to win a trophy first, Manchester United or Newcastle United. Yeah. Can we also please add a caveat to this cup final, which is taking place in a couple of weekends, and just say, whoever wins that game is the true winner of this Alan Shearer debate and we can put it to bed because I'm sick of it. It's going in the sea. We couldn't we couldn't go um this whole podcast without mentioning VAR. Um oh. I did I honestly thought we were going to come in this morning and all three of us were going to put a different VAR decision into the sea because <laughs> it was that bad. It was bad. I think there was four or five over the weekend that, that were genuine like game-changing shockers decisions and, and all wrong and all Howard Webb's done since coming into his role as head of referees or whatever is um, is apologise week after week for mistakes. And it just it completely supersedes the um, the point of VAR. You know, like the point of VAR is to have no human error because mm-hmm. you you have multiple looks at it from multiple angles and multiple people looking at it and multiple mm. opinions. Mm. So how you can still have human error? I know you're always going to have it in in any walk of life. Anyone's going to make a mistake, whether you're a you know you make cardboard boxes for a living or you fight on the front line of the army. Everyone's going to make mistakes, but. This, this is such an obvious chance to not make mistakes. Mm. So if you're gonna if you're gonna say, oh well, everyone makes mistakes, don't have VAR in the first place. Just let the ref make the mistake and then mourn yeah. about him for the next week. But we've said this for years, and it feels like there's one or two weekends a season where VAR has an absolute nightmare no, in more than one there's game. There's one or two weekends a season where VAR doesn't, doesn't. have a nightmare. Okay, <laughs> the rest fine. of it is. A absolute horror I, well, show. Well, I hate it. I'm not trying to defend it. I've said from the minute it came in that I'm not an advocate of it. And I'd quite as soon see it removed from the game tomorrow if, if it was potential uh, to happen. But it's not. Obviously, it's here to stay. We know that. Uh, but what I don't understand, I mean, Marley, you're right with the human error side of thing. What I don't understand is, remember when in that Sheffield United game, was it Sheffield United-Aston Villa when the ball... When the ball went across the line. Went across the line uh, and the Hawkeye goal line decision system didn't kick in mm, yeah someone's got to set hawkeye up at every premier league game it's not just a robot that sits there yeah there's human intervention mm. involved in that yeah. and when that incident happened i remember reading the statistics that of nine thousand games of professional football that is the first time that there was a mistake obviously massive mistake high profile would have been much better for hawkeye had it been a situation in which the game was a dead rubber so why is it that Hawkeye can have that sort of ratio with human involvement, yet VAR, when there's a bunch of them in a room, all doing the same job, all knowing the rules? For instance, Lee Mason, 
one game this weekend forgot to draw lines. I think for an offside with Hawkeye, it's it's turning something on. That's why it's that's why it's like the decisions are. It's a switch. Did you turn Hawkeye on? Yes, no. Well, someone's got to install Hawkeye. That's what I mean. They've got to put the cameras in the right yeah, place. Yeah, that, that is someone's job. Like that, that, their job will be to like they turn up to a football ground and their job is yep. to turn Hawkeye on and install Hawkeye. Right. So it's, what happens if they physical thing? They right? leave something at home. And they live three hours away. <laughs> but this is human error. This is what yeah. we're talking about here. So but why it, is it in Hawkeye it happens much less? It's different because in VAR, the human error isn't coming from someone completely forgetting to do their job. It's not like they've not turned the monitor on. Or <laughs> this is exactly what happened to Lee Mason. We or something he completely like forgot to do his job by drawing lines, which is what you need to do I as think, a VAR I for think, offside calls. He didn't bring his ruler. That's the, what it the, was. Prob- <laughs> the problem is it's we've replaced human error with human error. So we've replaced the human error with referees on the pitch making the wrong decisions and linesmen with people in a video cabin somewhere mm. looking at a screen and coming up with the wrong decision for various reasons. It's not just always because they didn't forget to draw a line. Sometimes it's because they've just seen it in a different way to everyone else on the planet and they've decided it's not a foul or it is a foul or it is a penalty yeah, or whatever it is. still subject. And I think yeah. what we have to keep in mind, I mean, VAR has improved in terms of the amount of decisions that are right. Benchmark was low, though. It's yeah, exactly. But we've given up a lot to make that happen in terms of the way the game flows and kind of the way the crowd can react to stuff. And so we've sacrificed a lot for a very small improvement. But I think you do have to bear in mind that that these guys in the booth that are watching the screen, and I'm not defending them in any way because I think it is very poor quality at the moment. They are under a huge amount of pressure to mm. get those decisions right in a short amount of time because mm-hmm. the amount of criticism they get. And I imagine they have quotas in terms so, of you so, need to make a decision within yeah, 120 seconds. I agree, seconds or but so is Mikel Arteta under pressure to yeah. win Arsenal's first trophy in 19 years. But I don't think VAR will get better for first those league. reasons. First league. I think because yeah. we, we are still relying on people <laughs> to make Twitter decisions. mentions there, haven't yeah. you? <laughs> Sorry. Still relying on people to make decisions based on their opinions largely. Yeah. We're still putting them under time constraints. Mm. There are certain limitations in terms of the technology and what camera angles they have available to them, etc., etc. For example, there's Thomas Suchek penalty decision at the weekend I think probably the argument with VAR would be there there's not a clear enough camera angle to see whether it hits his knee or his hand sure it was a penalty should have been a penalty but that will be the argument they make so Mm. those things aren't going to go away so we either deal with it and go VAR's a bit rubbish or we scrap it it and go back to how football used to be I think we can do both I think we can say VAR's bloody rubbish and let's scrap it as well because (laughs) because it's bloody rubbish Um, you know you mentioned Howard Webb Marley a minute ago He's obviously the chief refereeing officer at the PGMOL, which stands for Professional Game Match Officials Limited. It's a limited company that looks after referees and officiating in the Premier League. He's basically been in the post a short amount of time and all he's been doing is running around apologising for mistakes that are being made. He's already apologised to Arsenal for a decision in their game against Brentford. Of course, their points gap at the top of the Premier League has been slashed with Manchester City beating Aston Villa yesterday quite comprehensively. In terms of what was the worst decision over the course of the weekend, we've got this Thomas Socek handball. We've got the issue at Arsenal. Jack Grealish, was it a penalty or not against Aston Villa yesterday? Um, Wolverhampton Wanderers had a player sent off. Mario Lamina, I mean, that could have been oh, thrown geez, into the sea. Yeah. That was a ridiculous was decision. A Brighton against Crystal Palace. It feels like in every game. Ivan Tony's instant. goal against Arsenal. Exactly. Yeah. It was mm-hmm. a never-ending list this weekend, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's awful. So, I mean, if you're Howard Webb, Apologies all well and good. You can write an apology to Arsenal, but what are Arsenal going to do? They'd rather have the points. Yep. I mean, it's completely irrelevant, isn't it? You know, 
an apology after after doing after doing something which you can't make up for is is just pointless, isn't it? Really, you know. It's like <laughs> it's not that serious. I was going to say it's like you know burning someone's house down and then going, oh sorry, <laughs> left a candle on. Do you know yeah. what I mean? It's not. It's not kind of. Like you say, it's not something you can make up for with an yeah. apology. Lee Mason is not in charge of turning the plugs off at his house uh, <laughs> because because uh, he might just forget to do it. But yeah, the amount of them was was shocking. I mean, the referee sending Lamina off, um, Neves. I'm hundred percent happy that Neves was asked why Lamina was sent off, and and he didn't say he didn't refuse to tell them. He just went, okay, you want to know? Okay, uh, Lamina was the th- the third man to run to the referee. Oh, and he weird. said he was getting too, uh, too. There was too many play, players, so because he was the third man, he got booked. Like that isn't a reason for sending off. He wasn't even aggressive. It wasn't even like, and he was still probably three yards away when he got shown the card. Yeah, Nevers and well, Nevers even decision. said him and Moutinho, I think, were were closer to yeah. him. So he, was like, he could have given any of us the yellow card, but he didn't. He, he give it to Jared to Gillett. Mario. Is he the Australian referee? Mm. The one who had mic'd up. Mic'd up yeah. Mm. I went, Stroth, Bonza. <laughs> what a decision that was. <laughs> he probably did. Wow. He probably did um, to himself after the game because having looked at the camera angle of his face, I think he books Lamina forgetting that he's already booked him. Yeah. And then he yeah. thinks, oh no, I've got to go into my pocket here and get a red card out because he's got no no way yeah. back from that. Yeah, I think, I think uh, you're right. Yeah. Do, would you agree with that? Because yeah. having looked at his face, I think he's just gone, forget this. I've got three or four players charging at me, shouting at me, I'm just going to book one of them and that will send them a message. Yeah, yeah. And then he's booked Lamina and he thought, oh, yeah. <laughs> I've already booked him. He's going to have to go. Yeah. And I, I think that's genuinely well, I mean, what it was. He did one. He did go one step better than Graham Paul and remember that he'd booked Lamina because <laughs> Graham Paul could have just gone, yep, yeah, that's a second yellow card for you, but you're staying on the pitch. So, Amazing. Amazing. Yeah, it's Yeah, it was daft, but yeah, I'm, I'm sure that'll get overturned and uh, they'll all be busy. It'll be a busy Monday morning at PGMOL headquarters when Howard Webb starts cracking some skulls together. Mm. Into the sea, the standard of refereeing this weekend goes. No real surprise. It's at least four or five times a season at the frame. VAR and refereeing decisions into the deep blue. And then to be honest with you, we could do it every weekend, but that would be pretty boring. We just end up calling it VAR social daily <laughs> on a Monday because honestly, it's that bad at times. All right, next up, we're going to talk about the one remaining Premier League game of the weekend. It is tonight. Monday Night Football has a mouthwatering clash for us. It is the Merseyside derby, a struggling Liverpool under Jurgen Klopp against a side taken over by Sean Dyche, Everton from the other side of Stanley Park, looking to really rise up the standings. We'll talk about it next after this here on FSD. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday. 
I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather. Now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome back. I'm Niall. Marley and Jim are alongside me. And tonight it is the Merseyside derby in the Premier League. It is Liverpool versus Everton at Anfield. And these games are always worth watching. Albeit, Liverpool haven't really been a great watch in recent times. They have struggled. They were decimated last week. They are not having a good time of it under Jurgen Klopp right now. As for Everton, they've been struggling all season long. They sacked Frank Lampard, brought in Sean Dyche, and his first result was a win over league leaders Arsenal. And now these two sides meet at Anfield with Everton still in the relegation zone, Liverpool lumbering in mid-table. Is this the best chance, do you think, Jim, of Everton beating Liverpool at Anfield in as long as we can remember? I was thinking about this this morning on the way in and came up with the conclusion that it's probably going to be a draw. It feels like (laughs) it's going to be a dead rubber, this one, or a bit of a blank slate. But the, um, and I I was in my head, I was going, oh, that's a a bit of a controversial opinion, that, that Everton could get one over Liverpool. But the more people I've talked to, the more people I've heard that share exactly that opinion. So maybe it's not that controversial, which leads me to think that, yeah, this is a brilliant chance for Everton to get something from that game against Liverpool. I've got a feeling they won't win. I just think the way that Everton are going to set up under Sean Dyche, it's going to be defence first. It's going to be not conceding the priority. And if they get something, it will be from a set piece of some kind, like we saw last weekend. But I don't think we're going to see a demolition of Liverpool. But they've got every chance of getting something. And what a turnaround it will be for Everton if they do. Yeah, first two games for Sean Dyche, top of the league Arsenal, and then Liverpool, who they haven't beaten at Anfield for, is it 20 years? Yeah. Something like that? Ridiculous. It's infinitely more significant for Liverpool, this, I think, than it is for Everton. Because Everton go into it Expecting without any beaten. expectations, mm. as mm. always. And that's how Sean Dyche will want it. They won't want the expectation. He wants to be the underdog going into that yeah. scenario. But if Liverpool lose that, I mean, that means they still haven't won this season, sorry, this year. Yes. And they're slipping down the table fast. This is the I mean, them and Crystal Palace of the worst form, I think, isn't it? In the yeah. in terms of not having a win in the new year. So yeah. And he's Teflon at the moment, Jurgen Klopp. Nothing's sticking to him in terms of people asking questions. But surely yeah, he's surely, been disrespectful to reporters as well at times. But we've we've spoken about Jurgen Klopp yeah. on the podcast loads and sort of how he deals with the media. Everton beat Liverpool at Anfield in twenty twenty one. Two nil. But before that it was like twenty years. Was that under Carlo Ancelotti? Yes. I think so. I like that was in the... <laughs> That's why no, I didn't mention it. The what? Doesn't, that doesn't count as Carlo Ancelotti. It's a, it's a special caveat in it Premier was, League uh, history. It was when there was no fans. So you can okay. say they've not beaten them in front of an Anfield crowd okay. in 20 years. Thank you, Marley, for the correction. You can have that. Appreciate that. We would have had to issue a tabloid-style apology, I reckon. <laughs> yeah. we'll just, for a lack we'll of just, editorial standards. We'll borrow uh, Howard Webb's... Um, <laughs> Sorry, Liverpool fans. Sorry, Everton fans. We'll settle down and we'll correct what we said there. But I think you're right in terms of Sean Dyche and his approach to this, Jim. Do you think that Sean Dyche effect, Marley, will be in greater swing now that he's had longer with the players? Because for that Arsenal game, we could see a marked and clear difference from the matches before under Frank Lampard. And he had only had a few training sessions to work with the players. Now he's had over a week. So do you think that we'll see a more streamlined Everton when it comes to what Sean Dyche wants them to do? Yeah, probably. You probably see week on week um, improvements. You know, all they needed short term was a bleep test and uh, and a rocket up them. And banning snoods. Yeah, <laughs> snoods and shin pads in train. Well, swap the snoods for shin pads, I suppose. But yeah, I think um, 
Everton will will have more of a a clue and you'll be able to see what they're about a bit more as as time goes on. You know, I think um, I think this is a tough game for Liverpool because the one thing you don't want to do in this in this situation when you're struggling is give up any give up a result to to your rivals. Like that's that will turn the mood even more. Like I don't think people are questioning Klopp at all, but I think if you lose to Everton at home, then that would maybe th- start getting the fans thinking, Jesus, this is worse than we mm. thought because Everton are crap and mm. they have been for, you know, won what, four games all season or whatever it's been. And, you know, um, even Deitch is, is out tacticking us. <laughs> so that's a big, uh, it's a big thing. I think one of the things about Sean Dyche though in this Everton team is you're not going to see huge improvements week on week because there's not a great deal to improve. It's like the way he plays football is he likes a very well-drilled squad and that might take a couple of weeks for them to kind of know their roles and responsibilities. But ultimately, he builds his success on incredibly simple football. Yeah. A compact back four and closing down the wide men. And, and that's kind of, I mean, not to simplify it, well, that is simplifying it, but that's kind of what he does. And once he's got a team doing that, yeah. there's not a huge else he has to do around it. And he's played the game in the lower league, Sean Dyche. Mm. He's, a, he's an intelligent man when he comes to understanding the relationship that the fans want with their players. All fans ever want is their team to give everything. Yeah, And he understands that, you know, fan support for players is a symbiotic thing. It's two ways. You know, the players have to give the fans something to get excited about. Otherwise, they're not going to cheer for you. It's as simple as that. Mm. You know, support is unequivocal in terms of the fans will always turn up. But in terms of the actual vocality of it, you know, the Everton fans aren't going to cheer and chant when they're seeing turgid, terrible football, which is what they were seeing under Frank Lampard. They just want to see a bit of effort and a bit of passion. So I think that that opening game against Arsenal that Deitch had, the fact it was at Goodison Park, I think made a huge difference. Mm. I just wonder, and the Everton fans have been fine voice tonight at Anfield, no doubt about it. I just wonder how that first away game will go for Sean Dyche as Everton manager. You've mentioned Liverpool as well. Obviously, they've been bad. Just how bad are they, though, Jim? Because do you think they've given up any hope of a European place, let alone a Champions League place? They're currently, what are they, 10th in the standings? 9th, 10th, something like that. So they're only a couple of places back. But with the way they're playing, they're nowhere near at the level of Brentford and Brighton right now. No, and it's difficult to see them even getting into the Europa Conference at the moment, which is just embarrassing for a football club of Liverpool standard. I think I think the the real disappointing thing with Liverpool at the moment, and I'm not disappointed in any way, I'm quite enjoying their fall from grace, but is the body language that they have as a team when they step onto the pitch. They just don't seem to have the fire and the energy and the desire. And that'll be the interesting thing about seeing him come up against Everton, who seem to have had that re-injected into them since Sean Dyche came in, certainly in the first game anyway. But they just don't seem to be interested. They don't seem to want it like they once did. And you've just got to look at the starting eleven to kind of go, should they be doing better than they are? And the answer is 100% yes. That starting eleven that they have, despite the fact they have the deficiencies that we've talked about countless times in midfield, they've got the ageing legs, they've lost Sadio Mane, they still have the capabilities to be very, very comfortably a top six team. And the fact they are dropping down the league, and as we said earlier, they've not won so far this year, something needs to change. And I don't know what that is, but when you see a team that stops trying and isn't... You don't want to say that any professional footballer stops trying, Mm. but that's what it looks like. It seems like the confidence has gone, the the energy levels have gone. They just kind of expect to win. 
Yeah, it's the, like yeah. Well, you know, if if we if we're on the pitch, if this 11's on the pitch, we'll win, and it, it hasn't worked out like but that it, at all. In, and that's that in, that in that kind of scenario, what do you change? Because bringing in one or two new players isn't mm. going to make the difference, is it? it? It's a it's a managerial change. It's got to be a change of culture mm. at the club. And I know I'm very critical of Jurgen Klopp, and I don't particularly like. Do you think him. he should go? Yeah. I think it's time. I think he's time to replace. I think the Real Madrid interest comes at a really interesting time that he can leave the club without getting sacked. Liverpool can bring someone else in. They can get some compensation. It feels like it works in terms of everyone saving a little bit of face. But mm. I think he needs something needs to happen very soon in terms of turning it around before it gets terminal. And he doesn't want to be in a situation where his legacy at that football club, and he's done amazing things at Liverpool, incredible things that I don't think any other manager could have done but he's in danger of tarnishing that by getting the boot I feel like there's an interesting debate to be had on Jurgen Klopp beyond this we talk about the best managers to ever do it in the Premier League no doubt he's one of them but I think what sets Pep Guardiola obviously depending on whatever happens with this investigation but I think generally his achievements have been exceptional Mm. and Sir Alex Ferguson apart is their ability to regenerate squads and yeah. sides. Jurgen Klopp, there's no doubt when he comes into a team, he can build a squad, build a team, build a spirit, a unit. When that starts to ebb away, is he able to bring those levels back up again? Mm. Pep Guardiola has been utterly ruthless with getting rid of players. Raheem Sterling was excellent for Manchester City. When his time was ready to move on, moved on to Chelsea, mm. got rid of him. The same with Joao Cancelo. He's gone now, he's left, but he's been so effective. Sir Alex did it with Roy Keane. When his time was up, yeah. he got rid of him. But both of them, both Pep Guardiola and Alex Ferguson, spotted it coming. The, the, the regeneration happens before it reaches the point that it has done with Liverpool. But is there an argument to suggest that Jurgen Klopp did see that coming, but maybe wasn't given the springboard to do that by the powers that be at the club? Because, I mean, you know, he's probably noticed the fact that they've needed a midfield strength and for a while, but yet he's not been given the resources to do that. Or... Is it on him to give James Milner a new contract? Is it on him to keep playing Jordan Henderson? Is that I mean, whose responsibility does it fall down to in the end? Uh, yeah, I know. I, I kind of get what you're saying, and it is the argument we hear all the time from Liverpool fans in terms of the investment that's been made in the football club. But they're still bought in Gakpo. They're still bought in Nunes, which probably weren't the right acquisitions. Mm. So the money is there. It's just how it's been spent. Okay, interesting. All right, well, Liverpool take on Everton tonight. And Everton have seen Leeds United and Southampton both lose this weekend. Bournemouth could only manage a draw in their game. Is this the perfect repellent to see them move away from the relegation zone? They'll be hoping so. Kickoff tonight is at 8 o'clock at Anfield in the Merseyside derby. And speaking of that bottom three in the Premier League, Southampton are still the basement boys, but now they're once again without a manager. Nathan Jones was sacked, and we'll talk about it next on Football Social Daily. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? 
a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. final part of today's football social daily if you hit subscribe that way you won't miss another episode of this podcast again monday to friday brand new premier league content for you including on a wednesday where we speak to a former premier league personality last week we chatted with manchester united champions league winner two-time champions league winner wes brown who's telling us all sorts of different stories about what it was like to win that trophy against bayern munich what a moment that was for all united fans and if you are a red listening then that's certainly worth catching up on that podcast we did with wes brown just scroll back in the timeline and you will find it okay now we're going to talk about nathan jones again because this time we're not talking about something stupid he said in a press conference, Marley. We're talking about the fact he won't need to do a press conference again for a while because he's <laughs> been sacked, dismissed by Southampton. And it was almost inevitable if he'd lost against Wolves at the weekend that he was gone. Sacked yesterday after the defeat on Saturday afternoon. Do you think it was the nature of that loss to Wolves that prompted his departure? Because Southampton started the game really well. They took the lead. They ended up having a numerical advantage, 11 against 10 after Lamina's red card, which we've already spoken about on today's show. And then Wolves come from behind with 10 men Mm. to win the game 2-1. Do you think that that's the difference between him keeping his job and being sacked? Yeah. um, There's the manners of defeat uh, are important. And if you lose a six-pointer, it's bad. If you lose a six-pointer at home, it's bad. If you lose a six-pointer from a winning position, it's bad. If you lose a six-pointer from a winning position against ten men, that's shocking. Like how, you know, and and even top on on top of that, one of them was an own goal, which is the most farcical own goal I've ever seen. You know, like, Jan Bednarek has got like you've only got two legs. Just get him out the way. Of the the ball. Southampton fans can't stand Jan Bednarek at the moment because he went to Aston went Villa, to Villa, said he's gone to a bigger club to improve his career. Gets <laughs> yeah. recalled by Nathan Jones. Nathan Jones puts him in the starting eleven, the and team, then he yeah. scores an own goal. Yeah. It's madness. It's, it's it's. I shouldn't laugh though because Pompey once gave up a winning position with the opposition down to nine men. So I shouldn't, <laughs> I shouldn't laugh really at Southampton's uh, it's, expense. It's a mess. Uh, the club at the minute. I think they've. I mean, we said at the start of the season um, they could be in trouble if if their signings don't gel and they don't build on the potential that they've got they could be in trouble and it, uh, it's manifested just like that really mm. um you know we see him what we 23 games in or something like that you know and they're the dead bottom of the table um looking for the third manager of the season the hot favorite for the job is jesse marsh yes. who's just been sacked by leeds and we i think we spoke on was it thursday's podcast last week and we said will jesse marsh ever come to the premier league and we all said well what's he done to to ever get another crack at it and <laughs> less than a week later He's odds on to take over, uh, take over at Southampton, which is weird because he's got leads into a relegation battle. Really, did couldn't show anything to get them out of it, and then another relegation threatened side is is looking to to uh, appoint him to get him out of the situation he got himself in at Leeds. So There's a couple of clubs I reckon at the very moment strange. that are regretting not making their decisions to get rid of managers sooner. I think Leeds and Southampton. Well, mm. get rid of Nathan Jones sooner. I think. Well, I think because well, he was in I the th- job. They shouldn't th- have got him in the first it, place. Well, he was in the job for three months. Look at this. Okay, three months, eight games, one win, seven defeats, 
as I say, last in just three months, one of those months was eaten up by a World Cup. Mm. Well, right, two sides to this. One, the reason I say regressing, not making their decision sooner is because I think the options that are available in terms of managerial appointments at the moment are thin. Mm. Stephen Gerrard, Frank Lampard, Jesse Marsh, no thanks. So, yeah. like, Leeds and Southampton find themselves in a situation where they're going, wish we got Sean Dyche. And they both yep. would have done yes. brilliantly to get Sean Dyche in. That would yep. have been the ideal mm. appointment for both those managers, as it is the ideal appointment for Everton. In terms of should he have been, Nathan Jones, been given more time, 100%. And I think it's... Really? Well, I... I think so. Because some of the things he was saying yeah. almost was a but, recipe for disaster. The fans wanted him out even before Saturday's game. I think the problem is he was the wrong man for the job and Southampton made a decision that they wanted to bring in a manager with no Premier League experience Yes, and give... And if you're going to do that... That's on the ownership, bring, isn't it? You need to give someone time in that scenario. So mm. by bringing yeah, in that you manager... Need, he didn't help himself a, either, did he? You need to be like a Crystal Palace, somebody who's never really in a in a... A fight because yeah. you you have that risk. Like well, that's it. They were almost accepting relegation well, I, by bringing I, him in and kind of going, "Well, that's yeah, it. Yeah. We're going to go down. We're going to rebuild because of the amount of, as you said, the new new the yeah. players that left, the players that came in, they needed time to gel. It was almost like a case of going, "All right, well, we're prepared to go down to cut to come back up and rebuild." Jim smashing the studio. Me just hitting the <laughs> studio four binder there. <laughs> We've only got two studios, but that's Studio 4's binder, that makes no sense. <laughs> yeah, it does. But anyway, yeah, so they, he almost needed more time, but I completely understand why he's been given the sack, given mm. his abject performances and the vitriol from the fans, because I think this has been driven by the fans rather than the ball. I think once mm. you start seeing that sort of reaction from any fan base, you're toast. Yeah. And the same thing happened to Jesse Marsh, you know, when mm. he was being called hashtag Yank Lampard, and I don't think you <laughs> recover from that. You just absolutely can't. Never appoint a manager with a good pun well, available. <laughs> well, talking of a good pun, I saw one journalist react to Nathan Jones's sacking as the end of an error for Southampton, as in a mistake, because certainly could be perceived as a mistake, the wrong appointment at the wrong time. I don't know whether to feel sorry for Nathan Jones or not, because I feel like he's almost made it more difficult for himself with some of the things he said, yeah. Yeah. Marley. Yeah, definitely. I think... Um... You Not know, that I do said, anyway, being a Pompey fan, I definitely don't, but just by, for argument's sake. He said last week, didn't he, you know, I could have been a PE teacher and married a Welsh girl, and it's like, well, what are you talking about? And then a week later, <laughs> I'm probably thinking, you know, what, what's the average salary of a PE teacher? Because it's a lot of a, a lot safer job than a Premier League manager. You probably, if you work hard, you might get head of year, <laughs> a nice, <laughs> nice 70 grand a year or whatever you might get in Northern Wales or wherever he's from. But the thing that, what, the thing that confused me at the time of his appointment was that he left Luton to go to Stoke a couple of years ago. Mm. Totally failed. Massively. Totally failed. Was I think he was in the job a similar time, probably only a little bit longer I than think he was. Longer, was it yeah. three months? I think well, Five three months? months at Southampton, but I think it was longer at Stoke. Was yeah. it? Right. Mm. But you know, Enough they, time to they, be able to see a difference there anyway. They got rid of him ASAP and then he goes back to Luton and then they you know, they accept him back and he, he picks up where he left off and, and stuff. But then I don't think he did anything at Luton to suggest he could do it at the Premier League level. I know he nearly got them promoted, but you know, nearly is not enough in in anyone's opinion, especially when you come into a squad of Premier League players and the first thing they do is is look at what you've done in the game and it's manage a plucky Luton side from from League 1 or League 2 all the way up to to the Championship, which is a good achievement, but it's not it's not a Obvious mm. Premier League manager doing that type of job and yeah 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 then he yeah just the things he said was would never it's just it's just comical it I don't know done. whether he was trying to defend himself 
or deflect or, you know, when you say things like statistically one of the best in Europe and your Southampton side have lost six out of the seven games that you've been the manager for, now seven out of the eight games Mm. that he was the manager for. I just think you make it difficult for yourself and I think you have to pick your battles when you're a manager and you're trying to kind of deflect and defend your players and, and, you know, swing away at journalists asking questions. It was almost Jose Mourinho-esque, wasn't it, in terms of calling on his history, apart from he hasn't got the history (laughs) to call on. It's like, I once got the under 10s football trophy when yeah. I scored eight goals in I don't, the, I don't the think we should disrespect his achievements at Luton because they've done very very well and what he's done he's managed to bring Luton up through League 2 to the mm. Championship to yeah. a playoff place nearly you know fighting for the Premier League that is some achievement from, from Nathan Jones I don't think that yeah. should be denigrated He'll at be all back there in two months time probably he'll <laughs> probably just go back he's probably on retainer for them one but. of those one of those people that only works at a certain club a bit like Darren yeah. Ferguson at Peterborough who's into yeah. his fourth or fifth stint as manager there but yeah. just going back to what you said about Jose Mourinho Mourinho once had that famous press conference where he really threw some shade at Frank de Boer, the former Crystal Palace manager, saying he's the worst manager in Premier League history. (laughs) Uh, Six defeats, zero goals. Seven games, seven defeats, zero goals. Nathan Jones, eight games, seven defeats. Where does he rank, Jim, in terms of potentially being one of the poorest Premier League managers in the history of the division? That's interesting, isn't it? I mean, de Boer takes some beating. Personally, I'd like to put Avram Grant in that mix of terrible Uncle Avram, not having it, sorry. But <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, I was going to say he's up there, but he's down there is the phrase, isn't it? He's mm. certainly not covered himself in glory. I mean, you don't want to see any football manager fail on the scale that he has. And who knows what would have happened had he had more time to settle in. But yeah, he hasn't proven himself. And I think it's very tough to see him getting another Premier League gig. Mm. The best thing I've seen was uh, Rich Jolly on Twitter. I don't know if you've seen this tweet that said 11 Premier League managers have got at least one point at St Mary's this season. Nathan Jones is not one of them, (laughs) despite managing Southampton. (laughs) That's That's it. That's a great stat. I think that sums it up. I think that sums it up. Okay, finally then, you've mentioned Jesse Marsh. You've also mentioned Sean Dyche. He's already in post. Jesse Marsh is probably still in the country unless he uh, jetted back to catch the Super Bowl last night after being sacked by Leeds um, a few days back. But, you know, if Jesse Marsh is the leading contender to take over at St Mary's, it's slim pickings, Jim, as you said, but is that mm. is that the best that they can hope for at this point? Or do they need, I'm not sure I believe in myself when I say this, do they need someone like Big Sam or someone what? of that ilk? Rafa Just Benitez. Rafa Benitez. Still out there. Southampton have been very good at rolling the dice, though, haven't they, in terms of appointments managerially yeah. and personnel-wise? But I think the key here is exactly what you said. Leeds are also looking for a manager. Mm. And Leeds are much more likely to stay safe just by the positioning of the table right now than Southampton are. So if you're... Leeds and Southampton, Leeds are a bigger club, no yeah. question, but they're probably fishing in the same pond, the same types of managers. Yeah, so one, yeah, one of them's going to have to act sooner rather than later. So many managers are going to have two interviews this week. Oh, yeah, for sure. I think and it's going to be the same two. They're going to find it very tough to find the right person. I mean, I joked earlier about Frank Lampard, but I potentially, could he be a good choice for Southampton? He's gone into clubs before and the back's been against the wall. He did it with Derby and kind of like managed to force a bit of a team spirit there and then even when they go down at least he's got that experience of the championship you could argue that both Lampard and Jesse Marsh have experience in keeping sides up in a relegation battle because both did it last season but from what we've seen this season would they be the right fit for either club I can't can't bring myself to admit that it's very difficult to see anyone saving Southampton though isn't it Leeds have still got a chance as you say you'd potentially back Leeds to remain in the Premier League. 
despite the fact that their recent form is... I'd back Leeds over Southampton. From what I saw yesterday, even though they haven't won at Ellen Road since November, I still think from what I saw yesterday on the balance of performance, they were unlucky not to get anything against Manchester United. If they could finish, Mm. they'd be all right. I don't know who goes into Southampton and fixes the problems they've got. I mean, well, who can? Is it too late? Have they irreparably damaged their Premier League status? In terms of where they sit at the table, no, because they're only four points off uh, 17th. Yeah, 17th. Um, so they've still got every chance. But when you look at Southampton and the way they play, it's just really difficult to see them getting a result at the moment. Mm. Tough times. Jesse Marsh is heavy, heavy favourite for Southampton at the minute. So one to four. So that would basically suggest he's getting a, he's getting the job today or tomorrow, I would, uh, I would think. We will see what happens. In terms of managerial appointments in the Premier League, Southampton... 20th in the table, 15 points, four points from safety. Leeds United hovering just one spot and one point above that drop zone. Both clubs looking for new managers. Whatever happens, we'll keep you up to date here on Football Social Daily. This is a Premier League podcast from the Sports Social team. Hit subscribe and that way you won't miss an episode. On Wednesday, we'll be speaking to an Everton legend, Trevor Stephen, who won the title with Everton in the mid-80s and played against Maradona in that famous game, where he executed the hand of God. He will be telling us all about that day in Mexico City. And trust me, you do not want to miss it. So hit subscribe. And that's the best way to stay in the loop. But from myself, Marley and Jim, that is it on FSD for today. We'll catch you tomorrow. Football Social Daily is a voice work sport production for the Sports Social Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.